Podcast. My name is Thomas J. Sotvet. And I'm your co-host, Vicky Sotvet. Which makes this your very favorite thing to listen to of all time, Scaredy Cats. I'm sure we got at least one person with that description. One person, like, hoisted their fist in the air and was like, woo, yeah. It's, favorite thing. It's probably our friend Hannah who's going to listen and then send me texts about the inaccurate things we say about America. Hey, shout out Hannah, and sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so, Vicky, uh, did you know... I, th- I think you do know this, that there is not just one version of sign language out there. I do know that most countries have their own unique version, um, and a lot of American sign language, for example, is really close to French sign language. Yeah, so m- much like spoken language, sign language has regional dialects, and sometimes flat out entirely different ways to communicate, depending on where you're from. So American Sign Language, or ASL, is likely a combination of LSF, or French Sign Language, and an English Sign Language courtesy of Martha's Vineyard, that little colony of... That had a lot of deaf, pe- deaf people way back in the day. So, it like, probably a f- had a lot of death, too. I mean, it was an uh, old colony. Yes, probably. But uh, a fusion of those two things is likely what created ASL. Uh, in Canada, we use ASL as well. But in Quebec, they also have LSQ. And there Wait, is a... are you telling me that Quebec had to be so Quebec special had, they had to make yes. their own version of French sign language? That is what I'm telling you. Yes. Wow, yeah, Quebec. Yeah, we could, no, no, nobody, nobody is shocked that Quebec needs to be special. Uh, there is also a regional dialect for the East Coast called MSL. I'm less mad about that because <laughs> they just kind of do their own thing anyway. They, they speak kind of strangely and they pluralize everything. And I wonder if that's the same thing with their sign language. There's just S at the end of everything they're doing. That'd be funny. That would be funny. Um, so what we're watching today is A Quiet Place. The reason why I mention uh, sign language as our introduction is because a lot of this movie's communication is done in the form of sign language because it's a movie about monsters that will come kill you if they hear you and they've got really good senses of hearing so everybody has to communicate with sign language that makes somewhat sense yeah uh it was directed by john krasinski best known for his wait wait hold up hold up i knew he was in the movie but are you telling me john krasinski like the guy from the office also directed he directed this film yes yes what so, yeah, he is best known for his portrayal of Jim in the U.S. version of The Office. Uh, Krasinski also plays Jack Ryan in the Prime Amazon series uh, by the same name and has appeared in many other TV shows and movies. But, yes, he full-on directed this. What? Right. Uh, it was produced by Michael Bay, as in Michael Bay explosions, as in... Are things going to blow up in this movie? Not really. He was definitely put on a leash, but uh, anyway, I don't like Michael Bay very much, so I'm not going to tell you anything about him. I'm just going to move on to Andrew Form, who also produced the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake in 2013, the Friday the 13th remake in 2009, and a Nightmare on Elm Street remake on to- in 2010. Uh, Bradley Fuller, who was also producing, this movie had three producers, uh, also helped Andrew... Uh, with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Friday Friday and Nightmare. So they, they so, worked together on those three movies. So this is like an established team, except for John Krasinski, who just showed up and was like, hey, who wants to make a horror well, movie? I was actually pretty impressed looking at his IMDb page. He's been in a lot of stuff. Just know him from just, the office. Just quietly he's been in a lot of stuff. Um, it was written by a combination of Brian Woods, Scott Beck, and John Krasinski, so he also wrote it. 
I'm John sure you'll Kaczynski, be upset to know. man of many talents. I'm not upset. I'm just <laughs> amazed. Like, I don't know. I think John Krasinski and I think, like, that scene in The Office where he's like, yeah, Dwight. We, we, in our very limited spare time, went and took a class so we could learn Morse code to talk about you in front of you. And then Alfred's like, that's exactly what we did. Like, that's what I think of when I think John Krasinski. I don't think, like, writer, director, serious action actor. Yeah, he's all those things. He's even, all those things. Blowing my mind. And you'll actually find that this movie's pretty touching, too. So, good oh, dra- no. dramatic actor as well. Damn. Oh, no. Uh, it stars Emily Blunt as Evelyn Abbott, who is John Krasinski's real life wife. Real life wife. Wait, Emily Blunt is. Yeah. Okay. Evelyn Abbott is not. He didn't marry a fictional character. Well, that's why I was confused by your phrasing. I was like, wait, what? No, Emily Blunt is his real life wife. Uh, It stars John Krasinski again (laughs) as Lee Abbott, the dad. Uh, Millicent Simons as Regan Abbott. Who names their kids Millicent anymore? I don't know, but it's an awesome name. That's a rad name. I wish I was named Millicent. I read a book one time about Millicent something and the den of professional help. Well then. I'm sure if you were to look and the look Google like and the den of professional help that you would It get. was a very good novel. I read it in like junior high. It's like a junior high novel, but right. it's very good. Anyway, so she's got a red name. Uh and Noah Jupe as Marcus Abbott. This is a pretty skeleton crew sort of movies for actors. There's not many people in this movie, because again it takes place in the apocalypse. So you're not gonna run into many folks in an apocalypse that's killed most people. Um, it had a budget of $17 million estimated, so that's a lot of money to make a movie. Well, not really in the modern world, but... But it did rake in nearly $341 million. Good job, John so Krasinski. that's a pretty Killing profitable it. film. A um, couple fast fat... But before I go into fast factoids about this film, I guess it's worth asking Vicky uh, what Vicky knows about the film to start. What do you know about A Quiet Place? You gotta be quiet. Yep. Or you're gonna get caught. Yep. Apparently, it's so gripping that in movie theaters, when it came out, like, people wouldn't eat popcorn or, like, drink their Cokes because it, like, made noise, and it was an identifiable phenomenon. I can confirm that I did see this in the theater, and yes, the theaters were abnormally quiet, and people would be eating popcorn, and people would be like, shh, you're gonna kill us all. Stop. (laughs) So, I know that. I'm pretty sure Emily Blunt tries to silently give birth, which, good on ya. I mean, that seems like a challenge. Um, that's all I got for you. Right. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so the fast factoids I got about the film are in real life, John Krasinski and Emmy Blunt are married, as I said already. Uh, but around the house that the film takes place in, for the most part, uh, there are photographs of them with their actual kids all over that's the house. That's adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, actress Millicent Simmons is actually deaf. Uh, Krasinski insisted that a deaf actress be used to play her, saying that the role was non-negotiable. Good job, John Krasinski. The character is deaf, so he's like, no, she has to actually be deaf. Good job, John Krasinski. Yeah, which I'm sure would have been great to be on the movie set where most people are speaking ASL. Yeah. Like, that would have been really cool, I imagine. Um, The bathtub scene with Emily Blunt was all done in one take. That is the scene where she's trying to quietly give birth. It was all done in one take. It's pretty impressive, Emily Blunt. Uh... To prepare himself for making the movie, uh, John Krasinski watched movies like Get Out and The Babadook and The Witch and wrote down all the points where he was scared and why so that he could try and recreate those moments in his own movie. Gotta do your research. I've actually seen one of those. Yeah, you have. Babadook. Yes. Yeah. For a class. It was non- It was totally non-voluntary. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a scary film. It is a scary film. I don't like it. And uh, Get Out and The Witch are on our list to, of movies to watch, so look forward to that. Look forward to that. Um, so anyways, that's all I've got for A Quiet Place in our part one. Do you have anything else you want to say about it? No. No? All right. Then we will be right back uh, as long as we can stay super, super quiet uh, with part two once we finish watching The Quiet Place to let you know what we think. So stay frosty out there. talk at certain points in the movie when like monsters were present i actually couldn't take notes i had to take them after because my keyboard clicking was too loud and i was like no no they'll hear me yeah so it's definitely i understand the the phenomenon of quiet theaters so now imagine yeah imagine a giant screen with big loud speakers with all the sounds that there are and a crowd of people all being quiet it was quite an experience yeah so the movie starts on day 89. Uh, before we just jump into it, again, this is the part of the podcast where we are going to spoil the whole film. We're going to walk you through every single little detail. So if you haven't seen A Quiet Place, go watch it. It's really, really good. Um, yeah, and I don't want to spoil stuff for you, so watch it and then come back to this. But if you don't mind it being spoiled, then listen on. Yeah, so it starts on, on day 89. Uh, which is kind of interesting in and of itself, because normally you see the lead-up to the apocalypse and what happens and mm. blah, blah, blah. But um, in attempting to find out the design studio for who made the monsters, I did find a really interesting quote from John Krasinski about why it starts on day 89, which is that um, I wanted to break all the rules and conventions I had seen in alien movies, like a speech from the president and the people deciding how to survive. There's no deciding. It happened so fast you survived or you didn't. And that's where he's going and which I appreciate because he's right even in like every alien movie I've ever seen I've seen the speech oh, from yeah, the president yeah. and I've seen the panic and yeah. there's something kind of nice about like no trust us it's an apocalypse and, and it is nice that it's day 89 without context like it doesn't say 89 days after the invasion it doesn't say 89 days after the beginning it just says day 89 right that's it that's um, all you get and you better fucking deal with it <laughs> and uh <laughs> What is happening on day 89 is the family has made an excursion to go find medication. Yes. One the, of the children is sick. Yes, the Abbott family, which consists of Evelyn Abbott, played by Emily Blunt, Lee Abbott, John Krasinski, uh, Regan Abbott, Millicent, uh, and Regan is deaf. And so uh, she wears a hearing aid, she can't hear things. But conveniently enough, for the whole family, that means they already knew how to speak ASL. Which is probably why they survived this Which long. Which is really, really convenient. Exactly. Uh, also joining uh, Regan is Marcus Abbott by Noah Jupe and Bew Abbott? Bo. Bo Abbott. Uh, Cade Woodward played him. Uh, Cade, uh, Bo is the youngest by quite a lot. He seems like, he seems like he's three. I would kind say of at this four, point, yeah, maybe. he's kind like, of a little. He's not a toddler, no, but... but he's a little kid, yeah. And yeah. he's running around this pharmacy that the family is in town, uh, looking for medication because Marcus is sick. Yeah, and so there's a scene where it, like it focuses on the pills, and then the camera focuses on Emily Blunt behind them, and then the pills and Emily Blunt, and it's about it's almost a minute of her as quietly as possible moving mm-hmm. bottles of pills, and it does sort of have this intensity other than the sound which is that everything has to be done at half speed obviously because you don't want to make sound but there's something about the slow methodicalness of doing it that also kind of ramps up that tension Mm -hmm. well you start to realize how little things can make big noise if you're not 
really, really, really careful. Like everyday objects and stuff that you need to survive will make sound if you like tip them over or something like that. And so, yeah, it's just, it immediately sets up again without context. We're starting on day 89 and now we just see this random family all walking around barefoot because that's quieter and doing things slowly and as quietly as possible. Yeah, and so while the family is getting medication, medication Bo is wandering around and he finds a rocket ship. Mm. He's like, ah. well, well, first he's on the ground drawing a rocket ship on the floor with some crayons or something, and Regan comes up to him and is like, what you drawing? He says, rocket ship. That, he signs well, signs to her. And again, we're going to say they say a lot in this film, but bear in mind that there's only like three lines in this movie. It's not a lot of spoken word. Most there's, of this is them signing and there's subtitles for it. There's two conversations in the whole film. Yeah. And so uh, when we say they're saying, it's more than likely than not they're actually signing. So uh, he, or she says to him, uh, like, what are you drawing there? And he says, um... I'm I'm drawing a rocket ship, and she's like rocket ship, and he's like yeah, that's how we're gonna get away. That's how we're gonna be safe and get away and escape. Yeah. And then he goes and finds a toy rocket ship. Right, and he's trying to get it down, and he knocks it over, and Regan comes out of nowhere at the last second and catches it saving, about a foot off the ground, saving everybody's lives. Yeah, and everybody is like, nobody else sees that. It's just her and him. No, no, no. I meant the audience. Oh yeah, yeah. We're all like, <gasps> but yeah, nobody in the store realizes that this almost just happened. Yeah, and um, so then they're they're about to go, and um, uh, Bo has the little rocket ship, and he comes up, and John Krasinski is like, oh no, that's too loud. Yeah, his dad. I'll take out the batteries and put it separately. Um, and then they turn to go, and Reagan is like, well, if it's got the batteries out, can't hurt. So she gives Bo back the rocket ship, and then we she leaves, and then nobody is around except the audience to see him grab the batteries off mm-hmm. of the shelf. And then we're like, ooh. And then uh, they're walking through town, and it's very very post-apocalypse. There's abandoned cars and shit everywhere. Nobody's around. We see a giant like no- town notice board. It's just covered in missing posters, like a very, very, very cl- uh, classic example of an apocalypse. Uh, and, but we see that they're walking on a trail of sand. They've made this, they've made roads to places they need to go out of sand. And the idea is that walking barefoot on the sand is going to make minimal sound, obviously. So they've made these like highways for themselves to various places around, so that they can uh, they don't have to step through leaves and stuff. Sort, sort of like elephant shoes. Kinda, yeah. They make themselves their little race. Kinda, and so the family's uh, headed back to their farm, and they come upon uh, it's like a railway bridge, I think. Well, I think it used to be a railway bridge but it's been reaccommodated for people like there's no tracks on right. the bridge so it probably was actually like just a passenger bridge yeah and uh they're and they're carrying marcus because he's sick, he's sick. uh and regan's behind them and Bo is at the very very back of the group and they're all just single file moving along this sand trail yeah and Bo kind of is falling behind um which which nobody notices and then you start hearing the Delightful beeping of a tiny toy rocket. Yeah, some buzzing and some zapping, and everybody's eyes immediately go really wide, except, except for Regan, because she can't hear it. And so she's just staring at her family as they all turn around panic, and she doesn't know what's going on, because right. she obviously can't hear what's going on behind her. And then she turns around and sees the rocket ship lights, and you, you can kind of see the clue, and John Krasinski puts Marcus down, Lee. and he goes, <laughs> I'm going to call him John Krasinski. It's Lee. <laughs> His name is Lee, though. Um, 
and he puts Marcus down and he goes running and honestly about half of this movie is John Krasinski running as fast and as <laughs> yeah. silently as possible yeah. while looking stressed AF yeah it's true he does spend a lot of the movie running around looking stressed as quietly as he can yeah. right and uh, just before he gets to Bo out comes a monster and that's and the end of him whacks him off the screen and it's quick like you can't even really see what the monster is it just leaps out of the forest grabs him and is gone and the kid is gone and John Krasinski standing there like oh fuck I just missed my kid. Uh, and then it gets quiet and we get the title card, which is a sandy kind of logo meant to represent the sand, I guess, that they're always spent walking on. And then we go to day 472. Yeah, which is, for those of you interested, about a year and a month mm-hmm. after. It's about 13 months later. Mm-hmm. I was really actually quite pleased about the following scene because you kind of get an idea like they're on a farm they're mm-hmm. going downstairs and like their survival stuff is like homemade pickles not just random infinite cans with the labels missing no and, they, like, they're clearly like into canning and, and fishing do you know what I appreciate? And, hmm. It super is going to be farmers who survive the apocalypse because yeah. they do know how to grow their own food and they do know yeah. how to preserve their own food. And it's and that's never what you see in apocalypse movies. It's always like... The city folk. The, the gang and their biker leather. And it's like, I appreciate that somebody was like, who is going to be able to have a lifestyle that is already quiet enough? Because like, if you take the combines and stuff out, it's not loud to farm. Yeah. Who knows how to preserve food? Who already knows how to like sow and stuff? Yeah. Of course it's going to be the farmers. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, so yeah, we see them on their farm, and they're living their life in quiet land. They're all being as silent as possible. Uh, we see a lot of scenes where it's very really clear that Regan blames herself for the death of little Bo, uh, because she gave him back the rocket ship, right. obviously. Even though she didn't give him the batteries. She didn't give him the batteries. And, like, reasonably, he could have picked up the rocket ship yeah, and the batteries himself. And, and she feels guilty about it, and we're led to believe that John Krasinski is also, like, maybe a little bit like her about it. Yeah, um, although you get the impression his is not at Reagan, his is more like if I had been three yeah. steps faster. Well, and that's the thing is every single member of the family, realistically, except for Marcus, actually blames themselves. Yeah, you, because there's a scene later where Emily Blunt is talking about how if she had just carried him, she could have carried him. Yeah, and she wasn't carrying him, and if she had carried him, then he would have made it. And Regan's like, if I hadn't given them the spacecraft, and Leah's like, if I had run a little faster, yeah, so, so it's nobody's fault. But they all clearly are feeling guilty about it. Yeah, so John Krasinski is sitting on top of his granary, looking at a box of like. Well, I think before this, things. we see him in his basement. Uh, working on a new hearing aid uh, for Regan. Oh, I thought that happened after. I don't remember. Uh, uh, this movie is... A lot of it's kind of a family drama. It doesn't really kind of delve into the throes of horror until kind of the end, last act. Although although just the silence is in its own way kind of scary. Because, like, silence is, is... Sound, rather, is one of the most basic elements of human experience. Like, one of the oldest human artifacts we have is about 12,000 years old and it's a xylophone yeah. made from mammoth ribs that have yeah. been cut and tuned. So, like, sand is such an integral part that taking it away, even just the family mm-hmm. drama parts are, if not necessarily scary, they're uncanny. Yeah. Uh, but we see that Lee has set up in his basement a kind of headquarters where he's got, like, a bunch of radio equipment that he's using to test the different, um, like, um, signals and frequencies. Yeah, he's, he's going through a list of the international shortwave 
Sam, so he's trying to contact other countries yeah. at this point. Maybe somebody else is alive. And Somebody um, else can pick up. And we can see he's also working on a new hearing aid for Regan. And you can see that he's done a lot of reading about it. He's got textbooks on the human ear and stuff. But again, he's just a farmer. So he's... He's doing his best. He's doing his best. But he's in the process, I guess, of trying to make a new hearing aid for her for a really long time because she's been without a hearing aid. Yeah, and there's a pile of hearing aids. So clearly yeah. he's, he's like... Whenever they go to town, he scavenges as many as possible and tries to, like, yeah. reverse engineer them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so so he crosses off Iran or whatever off uh-huh. the list. Um, he's got pages and pages of crossed-off countries. Mm. And he randomly has all these, like, whiteboards everywhere that are, like, you know, what... Uh, they they hunt by sound and this like clearly like little reminders to himself but he has this random one at the bottom like what is the weakness and he has like weakness in all caps and it's like underlined and it's surrounded and I'm like I get kind of what the, he was going for but that one seemed extra silly to me like what is its weakness it makes sense to me in the context of like okay we know how to survive we know how to avoid them the next step is knowing how to fight them but you have these crazy and- armored Things. You know what it actually reminded me a lot of uh, this time around? I didn't make this connection until we watched it just now, because I've seen this movie three times now. Um, it reminds me a lot of I Am Legend, and not the movie with Will Smith. The book I Am Legend. Because in the book I Am Legend, it's just a guy. He's not at all like a Will Smith badass. He's just a regular dude. And like he's kind of, for a little while, he entertains the possibility of trying to come up with a cure, so he like gets some beginner science kits and, like, picks up some textbooks and spends, like, a year experimenting with that. But at the end of the day, he's just a dude. So what's he going to do? So, like, I get the sense that Lee's sort of that kind of guy. He's he's, he's a farmer. He's good at that. He's not, obviously, um, whatever the doctor is for years, curing AIDS and stuff. I don't know. Uh, An urologist. Urologist, something like that. Yeah, you're all... I I don't know. Uh, But anyway... uh, Anyways, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so he then goes and sits on his granary and looks at his box of little bow things. Yeah, things that um, his uh, son had. And then he lights a fire. And at first I was really confused, because I was like, why after a year would you light your son's things on fire? Like, what kind of closure are you hoping for, John Krasinski? Um, but it turns out that this is just a nightly ritual, and he's not actually lit those on fire, but the surrounding farms, little fires come out. Yeah, everybody gets on top of their silos and light up. Like, it's it's kind of like the uh, the Beacons of Gondor A little scene. bit. Because he just, he lights it, and then after a couple of seconds, uh, distant lights start to but shine. But it, 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 in a way, is very hopeful, because it shows that, like, it's not just this one family that happens to have, like, crazy survivalist John Krasinski, like... Again, it's the farmers, because the farmers know yep. how to do shit. So it, it, it really is, if you figured out how to be quiet, you can survive. Right. Um, yeah, so it's like, oh, Bob's farm up the road, he's still alive and doing things, and yeah. Yeah, and, and so then we eventually cut to like a normal day, and... Uh, uh, I think before we get to day two, we do see Evelyn hang up a mobile, and as she's doing oh, right. so, it is revealed that she is very pregnant. Yeah, we find out from a calendar on the wall she's she's due in about two and a half weeks. Yeah, and she's doing a pretty boss job tracking her own pregnancy and making sure, like, the baby's okay and... Yeah, well, I mean, for most of human history, that was sort of how pregnancies were. Totally. Like, well, I guess we'll find out when you're born if you're a functional human. Totally. Um, um, and then later that night, they're sitting and they've made some fish. Uh, after yes. John Krasinski's up on the silo, he comes back into the house. And uh, they're making fish in, like, a steam 
ground thing under their floorboards? I wasn't quite sure how they were doing that. Uh, it's, a, it's a clay oven. So there are clay ovens where basically you can make a fire and if you put coals okay, yeah, under yeah. them, I just wasn't sure then what if it, you enclose them, right. it steams it. Yeah, I just wasn't sure what it was because it was under their floorboards. Yeah, it's, it's a um, clay oven. Okay, yeah, so, so they've made fish and they're settling to a game of Monopoly. Uh, but before that, something I do want to point out, they eat their fish off of leaves. Kale, kale leaves. Yeah, yeah. They don't eat it off of plates and they don't use cutlery. No. So absolutely any noise has been removed as thoroughly as right. possible from their lives. Right, and we see that consistency with when they pull out Monopoly, they've replaced all of the, like, metal pieces with, like, felt ones. But yeah, the and funny, they roll on a blanket. They roll on a blanket, but I found it funny that they kept the dice instead of coming up with a quiet way to kind of decide you, that if instead. If you roll dice on a blanket, I guess, it's very I guess, quiet. But, like, you know, dice are noisy when dropped on things, and but I guess for sure to keep it on the carpet at all times. Yeah. Uh in the throes of excitement to playing this game, uh, I'm not sure who it Marcus. is, I think it's Marcus, ends up nudging a lantern, lantern which falls over, smashes quite loudly because it's glass, and starts a fire. And again, we haven't really heard no- a noise since the, like, um, since the spaceship at the beginning at this point. Yeah. It's and, been very, very quiet. And I just, uh, John Krasinski is so on that fire, he, like... He goes across the room in, like, one motion and has a blanket on it and, like, smothers it. And then there's just silence as everybody looks up. Yeah, and everybody's sitting around as quiet as possible. And then you they start to hear a thump on the roof. And everybody's like, oh, fuck. Um, and the reason I know it was Marcus who knocked it over is because there's actually a shot of Marcus mouthing, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so John Krasinski goes over to the window. And you're very stressed. And then there's a jump scare. But it's a raccoon. It, it, it's a raccoon. It's yeah. two raccoons, actually. Um, and the thing is, is, A Quiet Place does a good job of building tension, but it also does have a lot of jump scares in it. But I found myself not minding them. They seemed kind of earned. But in a way, yeah, like, it's jump scares, but it's jump scares that are, like, it's never just a jump scare, because a noise happens, so you know something's exactly. going to happen. Exactly. It's, it's, it, they, they're earned. They feel earned to me. Yeah, it's yeah. not like they just pop out. No. Um, but yeah, so it's raccoons, and they're like, okay. Um, at which point I wondered how there were any raccoons left. And I was immediately answered by, gee, we don't know, because the raccoons are wandering off making raccoon noises. Yeah, they're in the field later, and then, like, this big claw just comes and smashes them. Right, so my theory is that the fish are doing great, and everything else is extinct. Except for those two raccoons. Those are the last two raccoons on Earth, and now they're dead. Yeah, kind of sad to think that raccoons won't survive the apocalypse. Yeah, they're such clever little robbers. I hate them with their little hands. I love raccoon hands. I hate hands. their little hands. Um, they frighten me. Then we... Yeah, then we cut to day uh, 473. And one thing I noticed about this point is they have they have a system of lights that they have strung up over the trails at night and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really want to know where they're getting this electricity from because there's no solar panels on the house or anything, but you can't run a generator because the generator's fucking loud. Maybe they've got the, a generator really far away and it's like wired into the house or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but it, like, it makes me wonder. I just had questions about the electricity right. portion because they're, they're, like, they use lanterns and candles a lot, but yeah. like... They have a whole room of radio equipment. Maybe the power plant's still active, being tended to by somebody. Or... Yeah, it's, uh, to be honest, that was the only question that the yeah. film left unanswered for me in right. this new silent world, right. is but where's the, the power? But the thing is, is they do such a good job throughout the film of you being like, ah, oh, that's how they do that. Ah, oh, that makes sense. So, like, I'm okay suspending my disbelief kind of thing. Yeah. To be like, okay, maybe they, they had something. Yeah, so, um... So on this next day, Regan is going inside, and she's about to go down to the radio room. Yeah, and we see uh, in the house, right before the radio room, they've painted the floor where it's safe to step, because obviously there's... It's cre- a farmhouse. Creaky floorboards, yeah. Yeah, so, so so she's about to get in there, and then John Krasinski grips her and takes her outside, and, and signs like, you can't go down there. 
Um, and she's like, why not? I'll be quiet. And you do sort of understand, because she's deaf. So if she were to accidentally bump a radio and it starts emitting a noise, yeah. she won't No, she won't realize. It. Exactly, exactly. It's a dangerous... So, and also that's where they keep the gun and stuff. And it's just like, yeah. yeah but it's... But you... It, it is very reasonable why she wouldn't go down there. But you, you can definitely see she sees it as another example of she's not loved. She's not trusted right. by the family. And so John Krasinski's trying to give her his new hearing aid. Yeah, Lee Lee holds up the new hearing aid and is like, I just made this for you, let's give it a shot. And she signs at him that it won't work. It never, ever works. And he's just like, that's why we'll keep trying. And she's like, no, just stop. And yeah. then he gives her the hearing aid after she shoves him off a couple times and just puts it in her hands and then he gets up and walks away. Yeah, and, um, and then he's going to go take the... Marcus, Marcus yep. out to show him the way of the world. Yeah, I gotta go teach him how to fish and stuff. And, and Marcus uh, is like, I would really prefer not to. <laughs> yeah, he's getting he's getting homeschooled by Evelyn in the house. Uh, she's they teaching him. Experience on it on yeah. the whiteboard. Which, yeah, with iambic pentameter marked it, and I love, I love that they had a conversation clearly over like what is important to teach our children in the apocalypse. Iambic pentameter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, there's, she's also teaching him like division and stuff, and then and then yeah, John or Lee Lee comes out. I, I refuse. Uh, <laughs> Lee comes out and is like, "It's time to go," and he's like, "I don't want to go." And we learn that he's quite nervous about going out. But Emily Blunt assures him that Lee will always keep him safe. His dad will always keep him safe. Yeah, and and says so they're about to go. Reagan comes out and he's like, "Oh, I'll go. I'm not afraid of them." Yeah, look at me. Um, and he's like, nah. Which, again, you get the impression, like, maybe he just wants to deal with one at a time, or he feels it's important to take the son who can hear the monsters coming, so mm. he knows. And like, and he does say he'll take Reagan next time. Yeah, after Reagan storms off, uh, Lee turns to Evelyn and signs next time. Yeah, and, um, and we kind of briefly diverge into two separate storylines here. Three, so, actually, because Evelyn's in the house, Regan's doing her own thing, and well, Lee Re and Marcus are doing their own thing. Regan so. puts the hearing aid on and snaps, and it doesn't work. Right, so and then she, she starts crying, because she, that would be rough. And then she packs up a little bag, and she goes on a sojourn, and there's some other scenes, but basically Regan is going to Bo's little cross where he's yeah, got it, she, she Yeah, she packs up, and again, like we're saying, all these scenes are kind of intercut with each other, but the important thing is that Regan does, tests out her hearing aid, it doesn't work, cries, goes to her room, packs up a bag, including a package of something that we don't see what it is, and then makes her way to the bridge where they've set up a little cross uh, for Bo, and she pulls the package out of her backpack, and it's revealed to be the spaceship that he was holding that got him killed, and she snips a wire, puts the batteries in, and then flicks it on so only the lights are going, yeah, and, then and there's no sound. There and, yeah, yeah. So, so we're like, oh, that's it. And, and meanwhile, um, John Krasinski has taken Marcus, and he's going to go teach him fishing. Yep, he's and clearly got some fish traps set up in the river. Yeah, so he, he grabs a fish, and he brings it over, and the fish, being a wily thing, as fish of Denard kind of slurps out of his hands and into the river, and Marcus is just, he's ready to fucking go. Yeah, he's like, oh shit, because it's a big, like, and again, smoosh. yeah, and again, like, this movie's very, very quiet, so whenever there is a sound, it's shocking to the audience as well, not just to the characters. Yeah, but uh, John Krasinski grabs him and, sign, and signs, like, it's okay, it's okay, the, the river is loud, so a sploosh, like, won't Small, them. small sounds safe. Uh, as long as there's a bigger as long as sound. there's a bigger sound, then you can make small sounds. Yeah, right. And then and so eventually Marcus comes down. And he's like, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna take you to see something. And he takes him to a waterfall. Mm -hmm. um, and he like 
makes like a bird yodel call thing. Yeah, like without saying anything, just looks up at the waterfall and screams up at the waterfall, and Marcus looks like he's gonna have a heart attack. <laughs> right, <laughs> and then and then it's thirty eight minutes into the movie, and we get our first piece of dialogue, which is John Krasinski saying, "It's okay." They can't hear you here. Yeah, you're safe here because the the waterfall is really loud, uh, which means you can talk. You can yeah. use your words here. Yeah. It's a special kind of place. And so they have this quiet conversation in which Marcus is surprisingly full of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you blame Reagan for what happened? And he's like, no, of course not. It's nobody's fault. And he's like, do you love Reagan? And he's like... And John Krasinski makes the most offended face, like, boy, why you even ask such a dumb fucking question? Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I, of course I do. Yeah, and, and Marcus is like, you should maybe tell her that. Yeah, because it's clear, and to be fair, like, when you have a kid die on you like that, it would be pretty tempting to kind of close off a little bit from the rest of your family, right, Especially maybe. while you're trying to keep your whole family alive. Exactly, exactly. You maybe don't always have the time for it, telling people you love them. You and, know, it's, it's a stressful situation. It is very, very stressful. But anyway, so Marcus says you should tell her. And then we cut to Evelyn, who by far has the most stressful character journey, I think, out of anybody in this film. Like, everybody's got it, having a pretty bad time, but Evelyn has probably the most stressful character journey. Um, so we see her um, go up to Bo's old room, and she sits in it, and she starts getting sad. And then she gets up to leave, and as she's leaving Bo's room, her water breaks. Yes, and then we get nothing more on that for a bit, because we cut back to John Krasinski and yes. son. Um, who are, who are wandering along and they're like coming across a house, uh, and you're thinking maybe they're gonna go scavenge or something. Uh, but then there is an old man. So standing in the woods, yeah, this old guy. Yeah, and then John Krasinski looks down and realizes that the old guy's wife has been got by one of these things. Yeah, she's, she's lying, lying dead, dead on the ground. And um, if you've seen the trailer, that scene where John Krasinski puts like a finger up to his mouth uh, in the woods and looks utterly terrified, that's this scene, and he kind of puts yeah. Marcus behind himself. And the old man kind of takes a breath, and you're like... And John Krasinski, the time, shaking his head and pulling his finger up to his mouth, like, don't, don't, don't. Uh, and the old man screams. And it's unclear if he's yelling from grief because his wife is there, or if he's just like, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to take you with me, or if he just is going to kill himself. No, I got the sense it was grief, and just he wants to die, and that's a sure way to do it. Like, yeah. fucking take me too, why don't you? But... Definitely a bad timing. For John yeah, and Marcus to go away. Well, and I was thinking that as well. I'm like, the kid's there. You should have waited. But I mean, grief's a weird thing, and maybe he's crazy from the apocalypse, and who knows? Yeah. So John Krasinski grabs Marcus and goes sprinting off, and sure enough, old guy gets caught. Yeah, the creature comes out of the woods and fucking kills him. Yeah. And these things are scary so far in the sense that it seems to be just like one swipe is enough to kill yeah, your they, average human being. And they just appear. They're yeah. like, oh, we They're here really now, fast. and you're not. Yeah, exactly. Um. And then we cut back to Emily Blunt, who's going to have this Evelyn. baby two, uh, two weeks early. Yeah. Um, and I bet she's real glad she had children before the apocalypse and took Lamaze classes. Yeah. Because she's doing, she's doing some breathing. Um, she heads down to... Oh, oh, oh right. Before this scene, because she was doing uh, laundry while Lee was taking Marcus to the river and while Regan was going out to the grave, she was doing laundry. And we see her... A laundry bag as she's going up the stairs from the basement get caught on a nail and pull it up so that it's sticking straight up. Yeah, which she obviously doesn't notice at the time because she's going downstairs and she's carrying a, f- a framed photo of Bo and then she impales her foot. Yeah, on she that just nail. steps on the nail and she lets out a little squeak, but she drops the photograph and the glass in the and frame the glass in the frame shatters. shatters. Um, 
On the ground, yeah. And keep in mind, she's also in labor. Yes, she's so, also so she's in, now labor in labor this whole time. She has a nail in her foot, and she has just made the loudest fucking noise yeah. that this farm has probably seen in the last year. Yeah. And you're like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. She pulls her foot off the nail and gets down to the basement. and. Uh, except it's not okay, because... One of those things here, shows up. Here comes... A monster. Yeah. Uh, um, and she she goes over to one of the shelves and she pulls off a cooking timer. Uh, yeah. Like something that you would, um, you know, you wind up yourself and, and it, it buzzes. Down, yeah, and it, and it like, ticks down and buzzes at you. And she leaves them for eggs. Exactly. And so she, like, gives it, like, a t- she puts on the timer, like, two minutes or something like that. And then she goes and hides it in the corner. And then she goes to the opposite corner and waits. Yes, and sure enough, down comes... A monster. And um, this is kind of the first good look Yeah, you get at them. And something I found interesting, I was, I thought that it looked kind of like the Demi-Gorgon mm-hmm. um, from Stranger Things, and so I was like, oh, I wonder if it's the same design studio. And in trying to look it up, I found out that John Krasinski actually wrote a whole, like, very elaborate backstory of these things and, like, how they've evolved this way and why they're on Earth, and it's like... And he has this bit where he talks about how they're an evolutionary perfect machine, so they grow up on a planet that is no light, so, which is why they're blind, but also it's why they can hear so well, and, and they have to develop a way to protect themselves because their planet doesn't have a proper atmosphere, which is why they're so hard to kill, because they have this armor. And, mm-hmm. like, he actually has a really elaborate backstory for them, which nobody in the film is privy to. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how it's it, it was in part inspired by, like, crawfish in the Thames, which mm-hmm. is when, like, one crawfish got in the Thames, and suddenly there was, like, 5,000 of yeah. them, because they do so well, and just this idea of, like, no, no, I'm gonna make these things, and they're gonna have clear rules and clear evolutionary history, you just don't get to know about it in the film. Yeah, which well, it's is... kind of like, uh, yeah, like, it, it reminded me very much of, like, the alien design, because behind the alien mythos, like, because uh, it's originally based off of H.R. Geiger's art which, if anybody's into, like, weird-looking sci-fi art, then uh, look up his stuff, because H.R. Geiger's got some great stuff. But uh, very, very, very de- detailed. A lot of thought put into the creature um, that you don't get to know about in the movie. Yeah, you don't get to know about it. Uh, but anyway, so Emily Blunt, uh, Evelyn is hiding, and then the timer goes off, and it just starts tacking where the timer is, and she sneaks up back upstairs. Right, keep in mind, she's just had her foot impaled on, like, a three-inch And nail, she's in so labor. She's doing a bath. So she makes it upstairs to a bathtub. Yep. She climbs in the bathtub, and there's a really cool shot where you see her feet slide to the end, and then you see blood kind of start coming down. Mm-hmm. And she's clearly doing her best. And this is the point where I made the note that it's hard to make notes on my keyboard, because any sound frightens me. Yep. Um, but yeah, she's very, very quietly breathing. Oh, and uh, before she leaves the basement, something that she does is she flips a switch that flips all of the outside lights to red. Right. So, so when John Krasinski and Marcus come back, they're like, oh shit, something something's going wrong. down. Um, and so there's so John Krasinski signs to Marcus. That he uh, needs to rocket. make a loud sound. Yeah, Rocket. He needs to go make a loud sound. And then he says, your mom needs you. You can do this. And then Marcus goes off into a cornfield. Right, and uh, and we come back to Emily, and she is, she's clearly struggling to give birth silently while there are monsters. And at one point, you actually can see this really cool shot that's, again, really good rule of thirds, where it's uh, Emily Blunt lying in the bathtub, and then kind of this dividing line on your screen, and then a light bulb. It's like a, a sconce mm-hmm. from the wall, and it's looking down as you're flickering. And then it cuts back to her, like, white-knuckled holding the tub, and you can see an alien hand kind of crunching the, the yeah. wallpaper. And then she screams. 
and it cuts to Marcus, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she screams, but then it cuts to the fireworks going off at the same time. Yeah, so Marcus has successfully lit the fireworks, and he's running away, and John Krasinski grabs the shotgun. And we also see Reagan, who's still lying at first. Well, she sees the fireworks, fireworks, and now she starts running back home as well. Yeah, Yeah, because she knows that it's bad. And so John Krasinski's going around with a the shotgun and he's looking in the house and doesn't seem to find anything and he looks in the bathtub and the bathtub is empty but full of blood yeah and you're like oh no um and so John Krasinski is like crying into his shotgun and then Emily Blunt it's sort of a reversal of horror tropes there's a bloody hand that hits the inside of the shower and drags down which is normally like a dead body but it's actually Emily Blunt alive like, hello I am here yeah um so John Krasinski grabs her and the baby and makes the face of a man who is so happy to have a new son, but also, could you just stop doing baby things there? Yeah. Because you're kind of cooing. Yeah, it's kind of like, fucking all right. fucking my shit up. It's kind of like, be quiet, don't cry, shut up, please. Shoo, 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 shoo. Yeah, and um, so he's carrying them back. Uh, and then we cut to Regan, who's in the cornfield. And a monster shows up behind her, which of course she doesn't know. No, she can't hear, she yeah. she can't hear it. But of course she's not making noise, she's just standing there. No. Today the monster's like, hmm? and it's it's kind of starting to creep around, and then her there's some feedback issue with her new hear- hearing aid. Exactly, um, and it just bugs her, and she doesn't even notice that it's bugging the creature behind her, who actually runs away. Who actually runs away, and she doesn't see this though. Yeah. Uh, and then she carries on, and then we see Marcus, who's just set off the fireworks, is now trying to make his way back to the house, and he starts to hear the things all around him and he starts to hear they're looking for him and so weirdly he makes the choice to jump into the cornfield and start running which to me would make a lot more noise than staying on the path on the one hand you're right but also i think he's he's he knows something is going wrong with his mother because the lights are red he's just hit off fireworks he's also just heard an old man violently murdered by these things and he's like a little jumpy little jumpy yeah like you do keep in mind he's like 10 yeah, he's little, doing his best. Jumpy. Uh, and he starts running through the cornfield, but then he trips and falls. And then we go back to Lee and Evelyn in the house as he is carrying Evelyn and the baby uh, to the soundproof room that they've been making in their basement. Yes. That's and... like got a special kind of crib and an oxygen tank in it. And, and I, I want to point out, there is there's music almost this whole time. There's music the whole movie, except when, when it's Reagan, because it's totally silent. But, um... Weirdly, I feel like even though it's a it's a movie about silence, it would actually be less scary if the soundtrack wasn't there because the soundtrack kind of underscores because the soundtrack itself is is quiet. So any loud sudden noise is actually more jarring, I think, with the music than without it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is the music's not loud when there's a loud noise that's meant to be an indicator that shit's about to go down, right? Like the music is quiet. Whenever there's a loud noise, that's an indicator that stuff's going to go wrong. Whereas once stuff goes wrong, then the music picks up. And we already know at that point that, like, the the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. And so it just does a good job holding the tension. Yeah, so... So John Krasinski puts the little oxygen mask. Well, as because yeah, the baby starts crying as he's coming into the house, and you can see him be like, "Oh God, oh yeah. God, oh God!" and so hurry up while it's crying. He puts the little oxygen yeah. mask on the baby, and then puts the baby in this like insulated, soundproof crib crib box. Uh, and then we get our second conversation of the movie, mm-hmm. in which he's talking with Emily, and this is when Emily talks about how yeah. she had just been yeah because Bo. Evelyn wakes up because she's unconscious because she just had a bad day, uh, but she she wakes up. After, from a nightmare where she recalls Bo being grabbed. 
Uh, right. And she wakes up and yeah, she starts crying and says like she could have carried him. And right. he was so small, but the weight it was so heavy in her arms, but she should have carried him. And right, and and Jonathan, she's like, "It's not your fault. It's not your fault." And then she goes, "It's no one's fault." Yeah. And then she's like, "Wait, we have three living children. Well, Where are the other two? Yes. And uh, they have this moment where she says, "Who are we if we can't protect them? You have to promise me that you'll protect them." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, I promise." And then, uh, and then we see Regan. Uh, heading through the cornfield, and she gets her ankle grabbed by her brother, Marcus, who's fallen over. Yeah. And now the two of them are hiding, and they decide to go to the top of the silo where uh, the signal gets lit. And they light a signal, uh, but nobody seems to be returning this yeah. time. Yeah, although, to be fair, it's unclear how long they're waiting, and I think a lot of it comes from... Uh, Regan is convinced that... She she actually says that dead, her dad will come for Marcus. He won't come for her. Mm-hmm. And Marcus and and she like turns away and so Marcus is circling around to try and be like no no he's like no dad dad, dad told me and then right. and then he falls into the granary yeah he falls into the and, grain silo and for those of you who don't know falling into grain be it in a truck or a silo is an excellent way to die because grain sucks you down and smothers you real fast yeah. and every year in just in Alberta there's at least a few news stories of somebody who smothered. Who get smothered and yeah. um, and it's always really sad because generally somebody jumps or falls in and then somebody jumps in to try and save them and then they, and they both, both die. die. That happens a lot. Yeah, and Reagan, in fact, jumps into the silo to go rescue her brother. And you're right. like, but the do- yeah. but the door, the, like the door to the top of the silo, also falls off in. So they do have this plank of metal that if they can grab onto, they can keep from sinking. Right, because it's it's kind of like a snowshoe sort of thing mm-hmm. if you spread your weight. So so uh, Marcus actually manages to get up on it, but then. Uh, Regan starts slipping below the grain. Yes. And, and he goes get the and... classic shot of, like, the reached hand disappearing. Yeah, and he reaches out and grabs a hold of her, and he manages to pull her back up. Well, there's a bit of a moment, because he just plunges his hand into the grain. Right. He's looking blindly for right. her. But he does find her. Yeah, and, and, he, pulled, and he gets And helps, up. helps her up. Uh, yeah. And then they look up and realize the door is creaking. And then we see one of the creatures drop down. Yes, but them. then, before that gets resolved, we go back to Emily Blunt. Yes. Who wakes up to find, A, that there is a creature not ten feet from her, right. and B, that her basement is flooded. Yeah, because uh, as John Krasinski was leaving the house to go after the other two kids, it's revealed that a pipe is burst or something like that. Well, I think it's when the thing is flailing around. It, like, right, yeah, it, it hits it. Anyways, and so she's like, okay, I will very quietly go get my baby. So the baby is now floating in this flooded basement, in this soundproof box, and there's a creature on the other side of the basement, and we see it just, like, snake-like slip into the water and vanish. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know how Emily Blunt does not immediately crawl back up on the bed, and she said she keeps walking through the water not knowing where this thing is. Yep. Because, like... Gotta save that baby. Gotta fam, save that baby. I don't know. Baby. I don't know if, if, if it was my baby and that happened, if I would be like, I'll go for it, or if I'd be like, I'm just gonna let you sit in your separate box, and I'm gonna sit on my bed, and we're gonna hope it goes away. Um, Aww. Well, I, I'm saying I don't know. Like, that's... Like, the fact you can't see it, right? Because if you could see it that whole time, you could mm-hmm. I'll be very quiet and it'll be fine. But the fact that you don't know, like, what if it brushes your leg and feels you? Because yeah. then it's going to be like, ooh, snacks. Yeah. Anyways, so But she... she does successfully grab the baby. Yes. And does successfully make it up Slips the stairs. Slips back up the stairs, yeah. Like, this is what I mean. Again, Evelyn definitely has the most, like, stressful close encounters. Yeah, she's having a, a bad time. Yeah. And then we, of course, see John Krasinski running as fast and as silently right, as possible. Right, and he hears a bunch of commotion because in the grain silo now, this creature's in the grain with them, trying to attack them, and they manage to flip the metal uh, door that they've been using to stay afloat 
over them to use as a shield, and it's just tearing through it. Right, and then Reagan's uh, hearing aid malfunctions again. Yeah, and it starts going off, and she starts flinching, and the creature starts flailing. But and again, then... she can't see it, because she's below no, the not metal yet. plate. Yeah, and then it, it freaks out, and it claws its way out of the silo and runs off. And Which we conveniently s- gives them a way out. Exactly, but we see them look up and kind of... You can see the gears in Regan's head start to turn. Like, oh, that's weird. Right, but she Why would it just run away? It yet. No, 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 but she's like, mm, something's up. So they so they get down and they meet up with John Krasinski, who's so excited, and he immediately looks at Marcus and is like, are you okay? And then he turns to Regan and he's like, are you okay? And he, he, he's very good, actually, about being like... And he does actually, his character does a really good job of showing, actually, that he does care about Regan mm-hmm. just as much as he cares about yeah. Marcus, and a lot of it is just Regan's guilt that makes it seem otherwise. Absolutely. But, um... But then they know there's something still going around, so he kind of is like, all right, we're just going to go to the truck. truck. And so... And I couldn't tell, but I think they have the truck set up, because it ends up this way at the end. But if you put the truck in reverse, it'll roll you to the no, house. No, you just take the emergency brake off. Yeah. It's in neutral. I think it's designed, like, they've set it up, so that if you get in the truck and take it out, uh, take the brake off, it'll then go down the it'll go the down house. the hill to the house. Yeah, yeah, and so Marcus climbs in, and Reagan goes underneath... And John Krasinski grabs an axe. Yeah, because he's aware that something's up. And he's like, I know something's hiding around here. So he grabs an axe, and he's looking around, and he comes out from underneath the shed, and we see it's on the shed. And and he whacks him. Yeah, well, he turns and he tries to hit it with the axe, but it gets at him first, and it hits him hard and sends him flying. And Marcus bursts out of the truck and screams, dead. Yeah, he's like, dead! At which point the creature is like, Because, to be fair, we've seen this... These creatures, all it takes is one whack to kill anybody so far that we've seen die. Uh, And so... The creature starts running over to the truck, and, and Reagan scrambles into the truck and closes the door, and she and Marcus are doing their best to stay silent. Yeah. The creature is flopping around. Just and... ripping giant holes in this truck, smashing uh, the windows, and Lee slowly gets up. Uh, he's got the axe, but then he drops the axe, which causes the creature to turn around and be like, Quay? And he makes eye contact with Reagan and signs, I love you. And then he signs, I have always loved you. And then he screams. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to almost cry in a horror movie. That was a that was a new experience. It's a it's a hard hitting scene. And we should point out uh, Emily Blunt is watching all this go down on the CCTV. Yeah, in the she basement. can see it in the uh, yeah. And, and so, so yeah. Uh, and so Reagan is just watching in horror, and Marcus takes the emergency brake off, and they they roll down to the house. And they roll away from from Lee, who has died now. Yeah, and so, so they he all... becomes our third body in this film. And so they get into the uh, the room with all the monitors and stuff, and of course Reagan's never been down here. She's nope. not allowed. Nope. So um, yeah, the family's all together again. But she and and so Emily Blunt gives Marcus the baby. Yeah. And he's like, wow, and. Meanwhile, Reagan finds the pile of hearing aids. And all the, like, textbooks and stuff that dad's clearly been working on. And it's kind of this moment of realization for her where she's like, oh, he really did love me. He's been doing all this work for me, and I didn't know that he was doing all this, yeah. Yeah, and, um... And she also notices all of his notes clearly being like, okay, they've got heavy armor, they could hear, like, what are their weakness? What is the weakness? And you can see her gears again starting to turn in her head. Um, and then, unfortunately, uh, the party's not over yet when another one of the alien creatures comes down the stairs. Right. Uh, and, and Emily it's... Blunt's got the shotgun trained on it, but you can tell she doesn't want to shoot because throughout this film they've talked about how the armor is so good that even if you shot it wouldn't do shit Also, it's them. real fucking loud. Yes. Um, and, and so the plates on this thing's head kind of lift and shift to direct sound to it. And it's, it's very tense. It's getting very close. And the baby starts to cry, and you're like, oh, shit. 
Yeah. Except then the hearing aid malfunctions again. Yeah, and this time it malfunctions really loud. Um, because I think it, I'm not sure if it's amplified by all the radio equipment that's around. But um, basically, it's really, really loud, causing the creature to f- flail around and fall over, seemingly dead. Uh, well, not quite. It's just flopping, and then Reagan kind of is putting this together. Right. And grabs the hearing aid and shoves it into the microphone that John Krasinski had. For right, the which causes it to broadcast even louder. And then the creature falls over, flops on the ground, seemingly dead. Although, of course, this is a horror film, so we get our last scare as it jumps back up. Uh, but Emily Blunt's able to shoot its head off right. with a shotgun. And then. Because it's like plates have all separated because of this sound. Yeah, and then, um, of course, it's loud noises. You see all the CCTV cameras, a bunch of these things. Yeah, now there's like 20 of them all charging across the but, field. But. And that's sort of the end of it, but there's this, there's this really kind well, of powerful moment where it's like, well, we have the hearing aid that fucks them up, and we have a shotgun, and Emily Blunt pop, pumps the shotgun, and it's clear that they're going to war. Yeah, yeah, it ends with, like, Regan priming the hearing aid and the speaker, getting ready, and then it, like, zooms in on Emily Blunt as she kind of, like, smiles and then cocks the shotgun, because it's clear that, like, nobody's been able to kill these things before. They're the first people to yeah. be able to kill them. And it, it gives you this idea, especially because it, it makes a point of showing you that the neighboring farmers are still alive and they have all these hearing aids, so maybe they'll be able to like distribute them and kind of yeah. like... At, at the very least, they'll be able to keep this area clear of yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the movie ends. And that's how it ends. Yeah. Kind of an abrupt ending, but I like it. I, it's, it's a good ending, though, because it, yeah. it, cause it's like you're sad that Lee died, obviously, but also you have this sense of... Uh, it's not hopeless. Like, yes, this has been a terrible year. Yeah. But... But they might survive. But it leaves it kind of ambiguous whether or not they're going to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was uh, The Quiet Place. Um, so now as part of the podcast, we're going to give it some ratings for how well made it was, how much we enjoyed it, and how spooky it was. So, Vicky, scale of 1 to 10, how well made was this movie? Uh, I would give it a 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was very well made. The sound design was excellent, and... Frankly, the fact that it did not get a nomination for sound design at the Oscars is evidence that, to me, that there's prejudice. The Oscars there don't is prejudice. Like, oh, well, and for years people have talked about how the Oscars don't like um, horror and they don't like sci-fi yeah. unless it's like Star Wars. Yeah. And uh, do you know it's it's kind of true? And people talked about this too when like Jack Black and Jumanji played a teenage girl so believably and didn't get any no. recognition. And I had the same thing. Like the sound design of this movie is yeah, so like, tight. Well, everybody's talking about how Bill Hader ought to get an Oscar nomination for It Chapter Two. It's pretty unlikely. So right. yeah, um, it is a shame. Okay, and nine's respectable. I think uh, for myself, I would give it an eight. Um, it's really well made. Um, the set design is great. The house, uh, they put a lot of tender love and care into, like, oh, well, it doesn't make sense for this thing to be around because it's too loud. Instead, we'll replace it with this. So this is how we would noise-proof this and stuff. So that was yeah. really, really neat. Uh, I think just where it lost the points for me is just, I don't know, it's kind of small. It takes place on just this farm. Um, but, like, an eight's still really good. Yeah. So, yeah, I give it an eight, which means uh, scale of one to ten, Vicky, how much did you enjoy this movie? give it probably an eight also yeah like it's kind of how i felt with gerald's game like it scared me but i enjoyed the scared well i didn't enjoy the being scared part but after the film was over i enjoyed well but and sometimes sometimes the enjoyment of horror films comes from the relief when the scare is over yeah, well, I don't and the like, and the end. over, and the overcoming of the thing that's bad. Yeah, like that's sometimes where enjoyment comes I, from. Yeah. I liked it. Though. I liked yeah. it. Yeah. What about you? I give it a nine. Uh, it's just it's it's a hard hitting drama. Um, 
it's it's good. It's a good movie. John Krasinski did a good job, and everybody did a good job. All the acting is great. It's uh, yeah, it's just a really well crafted story. Um, so lastly, on a scale of one to ten, how scary was A Quiet Place in your opinion? I give it a six. Yeah. Oh, there were definitely some extremely tense moments. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like like I was holding my breath for them a lot, but I was never. I didn't feel threatened. I guess. There's no screaming or jumping or anything like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, what about yourself? Um, I'd give it a a four. Honestly, uh, for me, it's it's rated well in Canada. It's PG thirteen. I would trust thirteen year olds to be able to handle this kind of yeah. movie. Well, you um, never really see the monsters until the end. The kills are. They're not off screen, but they're they're very fast. They're very, like, you do have like, like the nail scene, which is kind of tough, and you've got the giving birth thing, which is kind of tough. But like realistically speaking, it's just a it's a scary film, but it's not necessarily it's not going to leave you upset. I don't think anybody's going to have any nightmares yeah. from watching this movie. So, so any, yeah. Any final thoughts on it? Uh, no. That's sort of all I had about a quiet place. How about you? Yeah, that the that was it for me. So, next episode, which may be slightly delayed, we're experiencing technical difficulties, but we are doing a fun reversal Uh next episode, uh, in which we're going to watch a horror movie that I've seen and Tom has not. Yes. Uh, Mostly because it came out in the 1920s. We are Mm. watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is not going to scare Tom at all, but is widely considered the first ever horror film. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Who knows? It might scare me. I don't know. Maybe it'll manage. Uh, probably not. We'll see. We'll but see. I, I feel you'll find it interesting, if nothing else. But anyways, yeah. So next time, Vicky is going to be the one with the introduction, asking me the questions before we get started. But until then, thank you for joining us. I'm Thomas J. Sopvet, and I'm Vicky Sopvet. Have a good night and be cool to each other. <laughs>